Hi. What's up? You guys good? Who's nervous? Don't lie. I guarantee you, some of you are like, I don't think I'm going today, man. Oh, man. Do you guys know who this is? I was thinking that. <laughs> this is my first wife, Christy Maynard. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> when we were, uh, hadn't been married uh, but a few years, we were having a lot of trouble, and she went and talked to her pastor. And uh, he laid out the Bible for her and what she was supposed to do in her marriage, and so she came home with the determination. I was going to live with him or kill him one. <laughs> and I said that regularly. You did. Yeah, that's right. And he's still here. That's right. <laughs> that shows you there's God has there's grace. There's grace. There's grace. <laughs> so as we, uh, uh, we'd like to have some fun, but we also want to share some truth. Uh, we, we enjoy our marriage. We don't have, I don't think there is a perfect marriage, and so I don't, want to, I don't want to hold up our marriage and say, hey, this is how to do it, because I'm telling you, if you want to know how not to do it, I'm your guy, but, <laughs> but I do know this, God is good. Uh, you were supposed to say all the time. All so. the time. I do know this, God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. And I know he's been good in our marriage, yeah. and so I had originally planned to scare you to death with statistics about marriage to start this thing. But I, uh, I think I'm going to go a different path. And so this happens all the time. I, 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 uh, sometimes God throws me something as I'm preparing or as we're worshiping. By the way, that was an amazing set today, worship team. Amen. I just, Amen. for Jesus, man, but that was great. Thank you so much for the work and everything. And so um, for you guys who are sitting there and you're like, well, I'm single or I'm divorced or I'm widowed. And uh, a lot of our conversation today will apply to all relationships and uh, also, in some of those settings, you need to prepare for a relationship, and so there will be some lessons that you can pull out of that. Our main goal today is to set this up so that by the end, we have, uh, you have a heart, we all have a heart to pursue what we're calling for this series, Our Happily Ever After. And uh, so, uh, where I wanted to kind of roll into as, as we introduce this, is the idea that there is a spirit of divorce in the world. This isn't just, it isn't just a legal thing. It isn't just a way that you get out of a toxic relationship. It's an actual spirit. And according to our reading of Daniel, we find out that there are spirits who work in ways that are very, um, they have run in layers, they have authority, those kinds of things. And I personally, you can call me crazy, I've been called that before, but I personally believe that there is a, there is a spiritual entity that's primary influence in our community is that of divorce. One of the great things about living in Wyoming is we haven't given up on marriage yet. It doesn't mean we still don't get divorces. It just means we keep getting married. In a lot of parts of the country, we, that they've given up. And so they just live together, cohabitate for a while, and so forth. And I could show you a lot of statistics about how all of those things will sabotage your marriage. Living together before you get married. Getting sexually involved before you get married. Especially if you get sexually engaged before 18, the, the statistics are just terrible. And we could go through all of those kinds of things. But here's the simple reality. It's, divorce is almost never, I'm going to say almost never, the solution. It doesn't usually solve anything. There was a 15-year study done, I believe it was in Iowa, where they looked at divorces over a 15-year post-period, and they found that in, in those cases, the conflicts had not actually stopped. 
that the two that had gotten divorced were still fighting together, still fighting, particularly if there were kids involved, and most of the kids were in crisis and situations because of rooting out of the divorce. And so I'm not telling you that to scare you into staying married. I'm just saying if you are in a place right now where the enemy is trying to convince you that ending the relationship and getting out of it is the answer, then I just want you to know that's, it's not an answer. It's not the answer the enemy paints it to be. But nobody gets married for, um, to just figure out how to survive until whatever point. I'm sorry. Oh. He's trying not out. to take my... Uh, yeah, I don't want to step on. <laughs> so, this is what I've been nervous about, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So everyone gets married hoping for happily ever after, right? Have you ever attended a wedding or known anybody that's gotten married that didn't at least want it to last? And we all kind of want our own version of that fairy tale ending happily ever after, right? But we've all seen many marriages crumble over the years. So how is your happily ever after going? Um, no one gets married for miserably ever after or miserable until it's over. That's not good either, right? Um, so uh, John Gottman um, has done a lot of study on marriage, and he wrote a book called Making Marriage Work, or it might be Making Your Marriage Work. Um, and out of his study... Uh, in this book, he lists four indicators that your marriage might be in trouble. And uh, so I'm going to go through those four just real quick. Um, so the first one is criticism. Now, this is more than just uh, filing a complaint, like, I don't like the way you put the toilet paper on the roll. I do it right. Or, I don't like the way you squeeze the tube of to toothpaste. She you know? does it wrong. <laughs> so... But criticism is actually, it's not just filing a complaint, it's not just you do it differently than I do, but it's actually um, attacking who your spouse is as a person. It's, a, it's an attack on their character. And uh, so if you have that in your marriage, that is an indicator that your marriage might be in trouble. The second one is contempt. Now contempt happens when one spouse determines that he or she is smarter or more capable um, than, than their spouse, and so they treat their spouse with contempt. Well, you just don't understand, or you don't get it, and so that's what uh, contempt is. And the third one is defensiveness. Now, we're all prone to defend ourselves when anybody files a complaint. You know, I can defend the toilet paper tube thing. Not well. Okay, if Not you well. have cats or children, babies, you put it one way, and if you don't, you put it the other way, okay, just so y'all know. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Defensiveness. <laughs> there is, are rules at our house. There are rules. <laughs> Defensiveness is where uh, one spouse is uh, just, that's any conflict that comes up, they're like, that's not my problem. If you have a problem with that, that's your problem. And I'm not, I don't, I don't care uh, what you do with your problem, but that's your problem. The problem with defensiveness is that saying, I'm not responsible in this area or for this issue. This is how I roll. And what that does, laying off that responsibility, says, I'm not going to change anything. I'm not taking responsibility for my own actions. I'm defending my actions, and nothing is going to change in this area. And then the fourth indicator that your marriage might be in trouble is stonewalling. And stonewalling is where um, when a conflict arises, one or both spouses just shut down. I'm not talking about this. We're not talking about this. It just leads to an argument. We're not dealing with it. And um, that 
leads to uh, what you're doing there is just burying a landmine because those issues, those conflicts will come back up. So those are four indicators that your marriage might be in trouble. If you see any of those in your marriage, then take caution and uh, work at, at fixing those things. It doesn't mean necessarily you need to quit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely doesn't mean that. My, my analogy is, uh, I call it the crap card analogy. And I know you're like, he said that in church? Yeah. Because I don't know what else to call it. I mean, don't you have stinky, smelly stuff in your marriage? Oh, you're just going to be us. quiet and just leave us. me hanging. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Love you, too. No, I'm just teasing. You know, as, as you have problems in marriage, you know, I, that's the crap, you know, and you throw it in this cart you drag around because you're yoked together now, according to the Bible. I mean, you're, you're pulling this around. And if you don't have a way to unload that garbage, then your marriage gets weighed down by it. And so that's where these, these four defensive tools that she talked about, these four warning signs come in. We're, we're not willing. We're like, my garbage is fine. It's your garbage that needs to be unloaded. And your partner's going, no, 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 no. My garbage is fine. It's your garbage that needs to be unloaded. And then the cart starts to break down, okay? So I said earlier, divorce is a spirit. And I just want to say this. We believe in happily ever after for a reason, okay? I think miserably ever after is a sin, Okay? I think a lot of things are a sin, but there's grace for all that stuff, okay? But I think miserably ever after is a sin. And I, I have seen couples stay married 30, 40, 50 plus years and, and not really like each other, not really have a good relationship. And I don't want that for you. I, yes, I want you to stay married. And if that's the only way that you'll stay married, well, I guess it's still a sin, but we'll take it, right? It's one of those acceptable church sins. But that's not what I want for you. And that's not what we want for you. We want you to be happy, to enjoy each other, to get what you need out of your marriage. Because the truth is, when you got married, you got married because you needed something from somebody. And you need to admit that. We aren't just two totally self-satisfied beings who come together to be self-satisfied together. We are two needy, broken people who are desperate to be one and feel complete. Make sense? Amen? Yes. That's good. All right. So who is going to inform your view of marriage? Is it culture, experts, your best friend, or the one who created marriage? And obviously we're up here today to point you to the one who created marriage. Um, Just be warned, culture is far removed from God's ideal. Amen. So as we as we look at God's ideal, some people will be like that. There's no, that's impossible or whatever. But but um, just know that God's ways are not our ways, and just also know that equality came from God. Okay, um, oppression of women or men, that's of the world. That did not come from God, and that did not come from God's word. Amen. The world has a way of spinning a lie to make chains and oppression Amen. look like freedom. That's right. Okay, let's look at God's word. Ephesians 5, uh, 21 through 33, it says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Amen. Oh, I'm sorry, I just, just threw that out there. For a husband is head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. 
In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife Amen. actually shows love for himself. <laughs> no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So there's a good passage on marriage right there. So that's pretty much the basis for everything we believe is in that text. It, it pretty much captures everything, although we're going to look at a lot of scriptures throughout God's Word. You can, if there's one place that just condenses our thinking on what marriage is, what it should be, that's it. But first reading can be a little scary in a world that we live in. And so I want to I just jump right into the part that I think is the, the scariest part. And that, I call it, it's God's scandalous plan. I mean, this is... I use the word scandalous because it just defies culture. It defies everything we think. Here God's presenting, and we're going to use the terminology that God's saying to you as men, love her well, and to you as women, let him lead. Love her well, let him lead. And, and that together is going to create a synergy for your marriage. But so, guys, let's start with us for a minute, okay? And I, I am not a big fan. I used to be a big fan, but I'm not a big fan of beating up guys in church, okay? Uh, but sometimes it happens. I don't mean to, but... But I also, you know, I can't just stand back and say, hey, you guys are nailing this. Don't worry about it. Chill out. Jesus said to me, Michael, love Christy like I love the church. Okay? Guys, think about that for a second. Man, no matter how hard I try, excuse my grammar, but that, that ain't never going to get done in Michael's strength. Does that make sense? But that's what God's calling me to do. So guys, before we, you know, we, we guys love to read Ephesians 5, parts of it. <laughs> Submit, because I need this new truck. Oh, I said that out loud. I was thinking it. Just fell out. So God calls us to, to lead the charge here. Loving your wife well, the basis of your marriage, men, it starts with me, with you and me. God's calling us to be the leader, so here's where you lead first. You love your wife well. To love a woman is a beautiful and a powerful thing. Something we don't talk about in church very often because we don't know how to make it clean, I guess. Or we are not clean, but we, we're like, we're afraid someone's going to tackle us at the door, you know. You can't talk like that in church. Well, we try to erase those barriers. I'll tell you what, every man in this room is called by God and empowered by God to be a lover. Did that make you feel uncomfortable? <laughs> Not Michael. Michael's over there, yeah! That's why I love that guy. <laughs> he is who he is, and I love it. All right. Guys, think about this for a second. God walks in the garden and sees Adam alone and says, hey... It is not good for this man to be alone. He'll hurt himself. He'll hurt himself. <laughs> I had it coming. Through no, that's good. That's good. I thank you. One of our commitments was we wanted to have fun doing this, and so, and discussions later. But that's another thing. 
<clears throat> he saw Adam alone, and he said, this is not good. And so he made Eve for him. And when he presented Eve to Adam, I mean, the, the Scripture really presents that Adam is impressed, amazed. I mean, there's, there's, if you read it closely, you see that this isn't just a, oh, good, God made me a woman, you know. It was, wow, thank you, Father, this is exactly what I needed. To love a woman is to love Eve, and it's to be sustained in a way by what Eve gives us. I, several months ago, and, and I'm not saying this, I, any stories we share, this isn't to shine a light on us. Every now and we get a few things, a presence in our marriage, and this was one of them. And my wife came down in the morning, and every morning she comes down, she gets up, she gets ready. That's kind of an ordeal. And then she... An hour long. Shh, 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 we don't tell them that. She comes downstairs, and every day it's like a, a revelation. There she is, my beautiful wife. And I realized one day, and I, uh, another author I was reading helped me, but I realized there's something about her beauty that sustains me, that feeds a part of me that I did not even know was hungry. Guys, you with me? Hey, how many of you guys in this room love your wife? Amen? Amen. Some of your wives are going, I don't know. <laughs> He does. Can I say that? He does. He does love you. Sometimes he doesn't know how to say it in a language you get, but he always loves you. Okay? So, God presents this idea of unconditional love. Now, I just don't think unconditional love is possible from human strength. I just don't think we can do it in ourselves. We're just too corrupted. We're, we're messed up. We're broken. Okay? And we always want something in it for us. And so if you're going to have unconditional love, it's got to come from a different place. And, and so that different place is Jesus Christ is what the text is going to tell us. But as we come into this, guys, we have to come at our wives and go, I love her no matter what. I don't care if she's angry or bitter or if she puts the toilet paper on the roll wrong. Or she's having a, a, a day she's nitpicking or nagging or whatever those kinds of things are. I love her. I will not stop loving her. That is where unconditional love is coming from, from our hearts. And, of course, that is from a mental perspective. You know, I'm like, I'm coming at this loving. But it's also a servant leadership perspective. Presented in John 17 is the place where Jesus shows, when he washes the disciples' feet, he shows us what it is to love someone and serve them and he shows us unconditional love. Because here are these guys who don't get it, but Jesus washes their feet and cares for them. Okay? And so, guys, that's how we come at We love our lives. We love our wives. We invite her into our lives. A man who dismisses his wife's opinion and words. Can you hear me right now? Because I need you to. A man who dismisses his wife's opinions and words is dismissing the best part of himself. Never write your wife off just because she may not know as much about a subject as you do. My, I, this lady right here has an, in, an intuition that scares me. I heard a preacher say this 20 years ago, and I didn't believe him. I thought he was full of it. He said, hey, listen to her. She sees and gets things you don't. And I'm like, right. She doesn't, she doesn't work where I work. She doesn't know the jerks I work with. You know, that's what I was thinking at the time. But she gets a certain thing. If I trust her, it always works out well for me. That's all I'm saying. Never belittle her opinions. Fully invite her participation. One thing that God convicted me about earlier, well, it was two years ago. I went to a conference that was dealing with the, uh, it was dealing with church growth, but it was also dealing with the, com the uh, debate between egalitarian and 
complementarian approaches to church, which means are women equal in the church or are they in complementary roles? I'll come back to that later. But in that, I realized that I had not done a good job as a husband of lifting her up and making her successful in what God calls her to be. The irony in that is I've been in business for a long time, and I realized that in business, a successful leader makes his team successful. That's how a leader becomes successful. It's not him, you know, getting the charts filled out and accomplishing all the goals. The leader is successful when he makes his team successful, and then it works its way up. It's the same way in a marriage. The more I participate in her life, invite her into leadership and into our home and, and listen to her, the more successful I make her, the more successful I make us. Christ is the example, guys. He laid down everything for the church. That's the bride, and that's what we do. So when you think about leading in the home, don't, think, don't worry about her submitting. Don't worry about that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. She's going to put some skin on that. That's not your problem, man. Your problem is to lead with love. Amen? Amen? How do I do that? That's the question I want you to be asking yourself. How do I lead my wife with love? You don't need her to submit to you to do that, by the way. I'm going to let Christy talk to you ladies because then I won't get hit. This is probably why I'm up here, because <laughs> this, this uh, idea of submission and respect, the problem is I'm tougher on women than he is, so you might <laughs> rather he did this. But no, um, the, just the idea, the word submission kind of brings a lot of emotions to the surface for a lot of people. And uh, years ago, we heard this discussed in the church quite often about uh, submission, but the subject is uh, kind of taboo nowadays. And in fact, about a year and a half ago, Michael preached a message um, out of Titus, and he, and he read a scripture that had the idea of submission in it. He wasn't dealing with it that day, but um, he got an email, I think it was that day or the next day, from a young lady, and she was pretty upset that he just read that verse, and uh, she said that subject, submission, should never be talked about in church. So uh, he well, we're going to talk about it today, so um, we're really heeding that warning. But, um, but he, he said to her, you know, the Bible has a lot to say that challenges us all from yeah. time to time, right? Amen. And we can't just throw out the parts that we don't like. So we're going to look at um, submission um, according to Ephesians. So uh, first of all, why has it been avoided? Why do we not talk about it anymore? And um, the reason, one of the reasons is with the rejection of God, our society has degraded and abuse has risen. It's become uh, very common. And um, so that's one of the reasons we shy away from the idea of submission. Uh, feminism has not helped in this area. In fact, it's made it worse. Um, we need to realize that it takes masculine strength to give feminine beauty freedom. It's, it works together. Can I amen that? Amen. 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 <laughs> so um, uh, the oppression of women, um, uh, submission has been wrongly used to silence women, to silence wives. Men who force their wives to submit, first of all, that's not submission because right. submission is a choice on the, wife of the part of, on the part of the wife. But husbands trying to force their wives to submit, um, in, in some places, women do, do not have the right to vote or have not had the right to vote or the right to a career, the right to an education. All of those things, those are negative things. They're not 
from God, but they are one of the re- some of the reasons that we don't talk about submission in our world today. But according to Ephesians, we as wives have the responsibility to unconditionally submit to our husbands. And I say unconditionally because in that passage, it Paul didn't say, wives, submit to your husband if he's a great leader, or wives, submit to your husband if you 100% trust, whatever. There's no qualifiers there. God calls us to respect and submit to our husbands. Um, A wife must give her husband permission to lead. Your husband cannot lead you. He cannot lead your family or your home unless you, as the wife, submit to that leadership and allow him to lead. Um, Think about a dance, like a ballroom dance. I love ballroom dancing. One of these days we're going to take lessons so so it doesn't look so much like a (laughs) contact sport. So our feet don't hurt so bad. (laughs) So we are going to, but anyways, think about about ballroom dancing, okay? Um, Both people cannot lead. One person has to lead. And if both try to lead, what happens? They're going to step all over each other. For it to be beautiful, for it to flow and work, one has to take the lead. Another idea of submission that might help in this, help us, you know, not freak out so much when we hear the word is think about um, writers submit transcripts, um, employees submit proposals, um, even customers can submit their ideas to companies, right? So submission in a marriage, submission is not silence, right? right. It's not just keeping your mouth shut and not, ha- not having an input. And uh, silence is one of the worst things that you can do um, in your marriage. The guys didn't like that part, by the way. They, just, they don't the, like, the, 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 yeah, yeah, they don't like yeah. the idea that yeah. the wives are supposed to be silent. No, no, no. no oh, the, that the wives can't, you know, they're supposed to speak up. They're supposed to speak up. That's, That's what right. I meant. That's I'm what sorry. I meant. So, anyways. So, but thank you. He's, he's, he's awesome. I lost my place, but he's awesome. Okay, anyway, so submission is not silence. Um, A few, I mean, some women are afraid to let their husbands lead because they're afraid, well, he won't do it the way I want it done or the way I think it should be done. Let me set your mind at ease. You're right. He won't. He won't. I guarantee you he won't. But just because he does it differently doesn't mean it's wrong, right? Remember the toilet paper roll, right? right. So so you can let him lead. Um, Also, if you're sitting there as a wife and you're like, okay, I know I'm the lead. I know I I make all the decisions, you know. I'll just take this hands-off approach. I'll just let him have it and see what he does with it. And if you do that, you're setting him up for failure because that's not right either. That's swinging to the other extreme. We're to work together as a team, but one must lead. And the Bible says it's him. Um, So don't take that hands-off approach either. Women, listen, you need to realize your husband's greatest desire is your happiness. He wants you to be happy. And so when you're unhappy, that's an assault on his ego. He, he feels that personally as a personal failure. So with that in mind, he's not going to take the lead and just lead you off into destruction, right? You can trust him to lead because he loves you. And again, Christ is our example. At the, at the beginning of Ephesians 5, it says, follow Christ's example in all you do. And he's our example in submission. 
Um, Philippians 2, 4 through 6 says, Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. So Chrissy used the word team, and, and we want to, the word that always pops to mind for me on this is, is a synergy. That when he leads well, it makes it easier for her to let him lead. And when she lets him lead, it makes it easier for him to love her well. And you create an, an upward synergy in your relationship. And I think that is very, very powerful. But I'd also, I, I want you to realize the, word, the same word of God that says, Husbands, love your wives unconditionally. Wives, submit your husbands. The same word of God says in Ephesians 21, chapter 5, verse 21, as a preface to this text on marriage, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're in this together, okay? God isn't just making us two different people who cohabitate, live in the same house, and try and keep our kids alive for however long. This is one person. Marriage is not about two people, it's about one person. I know that's a big idea. And, and I'm, I realize in a world that's all about independence, and God comes across with a message of interdependence, that that is hard to swallow. Especially if you've been hurt. You've been in an abusive situation, you've trusted someone who wasn't trustworthy. And, and I get that. And I don't want to minimize that. But I do want to point you in a direction where God has these roles, male and female roles, protector, protected, treasure, treasured. Um, I heard a talk by, I don't really have time to add this in, but I'm going to do it anyway. I heard a talk, I think it was by Ben Shapiro, which I don't really know a whole lot about him, but it was an amazing talk. And he talked about, we live in a world where sex today is about consent. All you got to say Yes or no. The problem is, what's happened is when you've reduced it, something that intimate, to something that bare minimum, you've set up a world for a rape culture. Because now it's just about this one thing. And the only way to fall below consent is to do something that harms someone else. God did not set you men up to live your lives by consent, but as to be protectors to honor, to take care of things. Does that make sense? And so that's, so as we come in our relationships with this other part of ourselves, the person who completes us, we need to realize I'm her protector and she's the protected. She's my treasure and I treasure her. In fact, I think uh, God puts it this way. I love this verse. In fact, I, I didn't love it as much as I do right now until my wife pointed out something to it in a minute. Now, you can throw it in in just a second. It says, God says through Ecclesiastes, by the way, if you're a pessimist, Ecclesiastes is your book. <laughs> <clears throat> Live happily with the woman you love, listen to this, through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. <laughs> is that cool or what? <laughs> I love that. Ordinary days. That's right. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. She is your reward. Man, she's a gift. When you get, Guys, right now, if your wife's with you, just, just kind of look over at her. You don't have to make googly eyes or anything. Just look at her. 
She's a gift. She's a gift because God likes you. Now, I know you're not probably thinking that all the time. <laughs> but he likes you. And Paul says this to us. I mean, Peter says this to us in Peter 3.7. He says, in the same way, husbands, you must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are. Now, that, that's not, don't read too much in the word weaker. She's just smaller than you. She can't punch as hard as you, but she can punch pretty hard. Uh, anyway. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal. Do you hear that? Your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. I, earlier I brought up that whole complementarian, egalitarian. Are women complementary to men or are they equal to men? And so the answer to that is yes. Yes. We are equal. We are, you're not better than her. She's not less than you. You are totally equal. Are you complimentary? Well, yeah. Just look at any anatomy chart. and Yeah. We, were, we are designed to work together, to work in synergy. And so that's my, that's my two cents on the argument, okay? And I also love the Word of God. I don't know if you know this or not, but the reason that we have so, the equality that we have today uh, in America between men and women that what we have achieved thus far grows out of Christian revivals. It's true. The first great awakening that came out of the colonies in the 1700s, late 1700s, early 1800s, was the beginning of these ideas that we hold so commonplace today. And they came straight out of Scripture. If you've ever read Romans 16, you may have missed the simple point that in that chapter, Paul commends women and men equally. There's as many women listed in that chapter as there are men, which shows us Paul's idea. And you may think, well, so what? In his world, to honor a woman in writing in a letter was completely countercultural and, and just, just totally outside the bounds of popular thought. And yet, that's what he did. In fact, he said in Romans 16, 3-4, which always blows my mind, he says, Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, these are a woman and her husband, and he lists her first. So, that's the, so equality comes from God's Word, and I think that's really important for us to understand. So we have a synergy in marriage, and from that synergy, we move into, uh, I don't know how to, uh, we're not transitioning well. I'm sorry about it's that. It's okay. I'll just take, take it. I'll take over. Um, anyways, what he's trying to say is you're more than a team. You are a team, but you're more than that. You are one. The two of you are one. So again, Ephesians 5.33, so, uh, Paul says, So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. In the kingdom, the way up is always down. For both of us, Amen. right? Sacrifice and submission. It's the gospel of marriage or the marriage of the gospel, right? Ephesians uh, 5, 25 through 27 again. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In verse 32, it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. It's an illustration of the gospel. So you have the scandalous love of God, the scandalous plan of God. You have a synergy in your marriage, and then you have all of that as a representation of the gospel. So there's your, basically the theology that's behind relationship. Now, I wanna, we want to take a minute and, 
turn that into some application pieces as a foundation of where we want to go with this series. Now, uh, when we're done today, I don't intend you to send you back home with a lot of stuff to work on. But I do want to send you home with primarily one idea, one question. Am I going to work on my marriage? That's the question. So we want to turn, we've got these three keys for unlocking your happily ever after as we have turned them. And so we're going to phrase those in the form of questions. Right. So. First of all, will you honor your vows? On the day you were married, you probably uh, said, repeated, or made up something like this uh, before God. And in the presence of these witnesses, will you take him to be your wedded spouse? Will you love and comfort her, honor and keep, and enjoy and sorrow, preserve with them this holy bond until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, or until God by death shall separate you. Now it doesn't matter how big or small your wedding ceremony was, God was there in the presence of God and these witnesses. And he says so in Malachi 2:14, it says the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. If every marriage merely practiced those things that they said in the vows, comfort, honor, love, protection, consistently, we would be in a much better place in, in marriages. Um, and a, a word of caution, you know, you cannot just check out of your marriage for 20 years while you're raising your kids or pursuing your career. I think as a, as a wife, um, as a mother, um, it, that is a very uh, tempting thing to do, to re just really focus on the kids. And I remember uh, just a few years ago, one of the hardest things Michael ever said to me uh, we were having some struggles, and we were actually in a heart-to-heart -heart conversation. And we're going to talk about that in future weeks, I think. Right. But um, we were in a heart-to-heart -heart conversation, and he said to me, I feel like our boys are way more important to you than I am. And that hit me like, ugh, you know, right in the gut. Because first of all, I was like, no way. I, I didn't see that at all. And secondly, I didn't, I didn't never intended for that to be the case, but I began to notice over the next few days and weeks and months many little things that I was doing that made him feel that way. And so I began to notice. So moms, wives, you cannot put your marriage on hold to be a mom. And, you know, you may think, well, these little children need me. And you're right, they do have needs, but your husband has needs as well. And he cannot just be put on hold. Um, this summer, I was reminded, Cayman and I went to see... Um, Sherlock Gnome, Sherlock Gnomes, is that the, the so. new Gnome movie? Yeah. And it was really cute. It's the second in the Gnome movie and Gnome movies. And um, so at the beginning of the movie, uh, Nomeo and Juliet were given the charge of the garden. Juliet's parents had kind of been the overseers of this garden where all the gnomes live. And um, so they were given charge of the garden, and man, she took off running, you know, and here's... Um, Nomeo, he's trying to keep up with her, and she's just like all about running this garden. And uh, and finally, um, there's a there's a kind of a crisis point in the in the story, and she says to him, "The garden can't wait, but you can." Yeah. And ouch, you yeah. know. And then she realized that's not true. Um, and so, don't put your marriage on hold. I think for men, the the temptation is to uh, really focus on the career, the job, and and kind of put the marriage on hold for that. And, and we need to both be really careful that we don't do that. Remember, you're a, you're a husband or a wife first. And the most important relationship in your home is 
your marriage. That is the most important relationship. And your children will thrive when your marriage is in a good place. It's good for it's your true. kids. It's true. Always remember, you made a vow to your partner. You made a vow to your partner. God called you to be a parent. I don't know if you see the difference in that, but when you make a vow, you're making a commitment to the other person. And then God gave you children related to that vow. That's how he wants it done, okay? So that vow's important. The second thing we need to say, you know, first, the first question is, will you honor your vows? The second one is, will you grow as an individual? This may be a little hard to, to take, but your wife needs a better husband than you. Your, your husband needs a better wife than you. Now, the point of this series is so you don't go out shopping for one. Okay? Just need an upgrade. Just, yeah. Time, time to upgrade yourself. So we all need to be growing people. We, we hear this comment in different shades all the time when we're talking to people like, well, we've changed. We've, I don't know them anymore. Or they won't change. I mean, there's always the word change in there, but it's one way or the other. Well, here's the reality. You're all changing all the time. When you wake up one day and you're like, I don't know this person anymore, all it means is they were changing and you were not present for the change. Does that make sense? You weren't present. And so God says this in Ephesians 4.15. He says, instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. Just the reason we come together is to help us grow. And so be ready. Your, your life is going to change. You can either approach that change proactively or you can get run over by it. So it's going to happen. So are you going to grow as an individual? Are you going to take that on? And thirdly, we want to ask, will you pursue your happily ever after? It is a pursuit. It doesn't just happen. Um, and it will take time. And we are going to talk more about time next week, so I'm not going to camp here. But you, you need to know that it's going to take time, and you have to make time for your marriage. A lot of times when we're checking out, you know, we're, we're just kind of looking for, you know, the extra few minutes that we're going to invest in our marriage, but we can't do that. We have to make time for our marriage, make it a priority. We, we'll talk more about that next yeah, week. Yeah, next week a whole message is dedicated to that. And then we also have to, to learn. We have to get an education when it comes to marriage. You know, this woman, when I met her, she was a mystery to me. After 31 years, though, She's way more a mystery than she was at the beginning. And I love that. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons God made Eve the way he made her, was so she would be a, for, a forever mystery. And, and guys, I'll throw you a helpful hint out. I learned about 10 years ago, Eve, which is my term for women, is a mystery to Eve. She, she doesn't know either. So when you say, hey, uh, what is it you want? And she goes, I... I you figure it out. Like dinner? Like dinner? Hey, where do you want to eat? Now think about this. Think, yeah, I don't care. And then how about Mexican? Oh, no, we can't do Mexican. Now I want you to think about this for a second, okay? The very first time when the world fell into sin, it was Eve making a choice about dinner. Now you know what's going on, okay? Now Look you good? know why we can't do that. That's right. That's why she's so freaked out about dinner. All you right. just decide. 
All right, also it's going to take a little comprehension. There's a difference between academics and applied learning, and marriage is really frustrating in this regard. You can, you can get your book smarts about men and, or women or whatever, but you, need, you have to learn your love, the yeah. love of your life. And it's, that's going to take some reflection and some thinking. Why did she respond that way? I just asked her what she wanted for dinner, <laughs> you know, things like that. So it's going to take some comprehension. And then it's going to take some practice. Uh, you know, you've heard it say, people say practice makes perfect. And I don't think that's exactly right. I think perfect practice makes better. But anybody who practices or who wants to do something well first has to do it poorly. So some of you guys may be struggling. I've known a lot of marriages where one of them, sometimes it's him, sometimes it's her, have a really hard time with communication. And a lot of times there's some deep-seated reasons for that. It's okay to start badly. It's okay to, to have a conversation that didn't go like you envisioned it. Just do it. Practice, and you'll get better. So it's going to take a lot of practice. Amen. And lastly, it will take continual forgiveness. Everyone needs forgiveness, and no one deserves it. If forgiveness could be earned, there would have been no need for Jesus to die on the cross. But forgiveness can be freely given. And I wanna, whenever I teach my children how to ask for forgiveness, to apologize to somebody, um, I, I, always ask, I always tell them, you, you confess what you did wrong, and you ask for forgiveness. And if you've ever heard little children playing and one apologizes, what does the other one usually say? It's okay, right? And I always teach my kids, and I'll say this to your child, if your child is the one who my child is apologizing to and they say, it's okay, I say, no, it's not okay, but you can be forgiven. Forgiveness is a gift, and it should be freely given in marriage. And the more you forgive, the more freedom that you're going to personally um, realize. So this is the beginning of our series. There are four weeks in this. And uh, our, our heart, we want you to have a great marriage. Any marriage can be better. Any marriage can be better. Most marriages, almost all marriages can be good if you're willing to invest in it. And the same number can be great if you're willing to pour into it. So today, as we come to the end of this, this message that Chris and I have shared together and comes out of our heart and our passion for marriage. And we're also attacking the enemy. We're coming against the spirit of divorce that infects a lot of families and the spirit of conflict that's creating that spirit in your home. I want to I ask you this this morning, though. I'm assuming you're here if you knew what the subject matter was because you'd like to pursue this. What I want to ask you to do as we conclude today, go through communion together, uh, Chris and I are going to be available for prayer over here to my right, um, over anything. But uh, as we go through it, I need you to answer the question, am I going to pursue this? Really? Because if you walk out of here going, well, that's all right, we'll wait and see. I'll be honest with you, if I were doing marriage counseling with you and that's the way you're approaching your marriage, I would tell you to go find somebody else. In fact, when I do marriage counseling, the first thing I throw on the table is this. If divorce is an option... We can't talk. If divorce is on the table, that's where this marriage will go. And I've seen it countless times. If you want to fix your marriage, you've got to take it off. And so basically what I'm saying to you today is this, guys. Will you work on your marriage with us over the next month? Will you go forward? Will you talk about what we've talked about today 
with your wife on the way home, with your husband. We, we have some small groups. All of our Digging Deeper groups follow along the, ser- the sermon series. And Christy and I are doing one at our house. If you're interested, you can holler at us about it, okay? We're not trying to rally up people to come because there are several Digging Deepers. But guys, if you don't work on your marriage, then you are going to be stuck with what you got right now. Okay, and maybe it's okay right now, and maybe it's not. You know how marriage is. Sometimes it's pretty good, and sometimes it ain't. And so what we've learned is that if you invest in your marriage, it gets better. Is our marriage perfect? Uh, No, no. She's wrong about a lot of stuff. (laughs) No, I'm totally just kidding. You know that. Do we fight? Yes. In fact, if if there are not some serious discussions in your marriage, I would be very worried about your marriage. Um, Yes, we do. But I'll tell you what, something that God has taught us how to do that we are so thankful for. He's actually taught us how to resolve stuff. So when we fight, we are actually emptying our crap cart rather than just fighting over whose crap it is. You love that, don't you? I promise you, you won't forget it, though. We'd like to pray for you. When we're done praying, Carrie's going to come up and take us into communion, okay? You want to go first or me? Precious Father, it is our greatest desire to honor you in our marriage. And, Father, we know it is your desire for marriage to um, not, marriage is not to just uh, stay together, but to enjoy each other, to give a clear representation of the gospel to this world that we live in. And so, Lord, I just want to pray right now for every marriage in the room. Father, you know exactly where each one is. You know what um, you have spoken to them today. And, Father, I just pray that you would help all of us, Lord, to receive your truth with open hearts and open ears and open eyes, Lord, that you would move in our marriages, Lord, and make them better. And, uh, Father, we just uh, thank you so much. I thank you so much for this opportunity today. And I thank you for everyone that's here. And I pray, oh, God, just special blessings upon these marriages today. In your precious name, I pray. And I amen my wife's prayer and totally agree with her, Lord, and lift it up and claim your promise that where two or three are gathered in your name, you're in the midst. And, Lord, I just come against the enemy at this point. And I know that we... We give the enemy territory sometimes through our own weakness, through the lies that he tells. And Lord, it's, I want to bind that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit of conflict, spirit of divorce, spirit of division that are in that so many homes are underneath. I pray that you would bind that in the name of Jesus. I pray that you'd show the married couples over the next weeks and months and years where that we have given the enemy a foothold and begin and claim that land back. But I ask for the next four weeks especially as a, a place where we could have some space in our congregation to hear from Jesus, that our marriages could have some peace to hear from Jesus. I pray that you would stop the enemy's assault in, in those ways that would distract us from being an amazing representation of the gospel in our marriage. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Pastor Kerry. We are going to continue our worship. We've had singing, we've had preaching, and now we are going to have some communion. And just as a reminder, uh, please come down through the two center aisles to the tables and then back up the outer aisles. And uh, 
and, and then spend time in prayer with your family, with your friends. And, uh, and just remember, there will be one song following uh, communion, and um, that will conclude our service for today. So please be respectful of those around you and allow them the freedom to do what they are going to do. The psalmist David said, We are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is no finer example than the human brain. We have 86 million billion neurons, 400 miles of capillaries, 1,000 miles of axons, and more than 10 trillion synapses. Scientists estimate that our brains have a storage capacity of up to 2.5 million gigabytes. Over a lifetime, our brains will hold up to one quadrillion pieces of information stored from an average of 70,000 thoughts each day. And even when you are asleep, dreaming takes more brain activity than any waking action. Even with a, such a phenomenal brain, God knew that humans are by nature forgetters. We are forgetters. It is not so much that we lose a piece of information or an experience, but rather it gets drowned out or buried beneath the mountain of day-to-day -day issues, crisis, joys, and necessities. Remember, God says over and over in his scripture, in Joshua 4, we find an altar of stones next to the Jordan. What do these stones mean? Joshua said, tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord, your God. People want to know, who am I? Where did I come from? Where are my roots? They look to the past for answers because the future is so uncertain. In 2017, over 12 million people had their DNA tested to the tune of over $720 million just to answer that question. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 takes us into the past and to our roots. We celebrate communion on a monthly basis, but my question is, why not every day? To remember what Christ has done for us is not an invitation to live in the past, but rather to remember the past so that we might live victoriously in the present. An event that took place some 2,000 years ago, and yet this morning defines who we are, where we came from, and unlike today's DNA tests, where we are going. Remember, remember, you are a child of God, reborn through the blood and the water that flowed from the broken body of Jesus Christ. This is the only DNA test that matters. 1 Corinthians 11.23 For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks of the cup, the Lord, in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. Let's partake.